You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. The climate movement, Extinction Rebellion, has been so visible and so influential for the past two years. It's only two years old. They are the people responsible for protests, for shutting down parts of cities. The global strategy which is being pursued by the Western liberal class has catastrophically failed. Co-founder Roger Hallam is here to talk about it and also to tell us where he thinks they might have gone wrong and what new directions we need to be thinking about. Where do you think Extinction Rebellion, the organization you co-founded, has gone wrong? Well, the first thing I need to say is I'm a co-founder, but I'm not the leader. I don't have an official position. So in this interview, I'm talking for myself primarily. And I guess where extinction has gone wrong, I mean, in the context of it having massive success, let me say, but it has gone wrong to a certain extent because it still hasn't got the message across successfully that the climate crisis is a massive civilization-threatening phenomenon. And as such, it needs to reach across political divides and cultural divides and communicate the, this message, right, to everybody across all these different cultures. And I'm here today taking a little bit of a risk, <laughs> talking outside the left-wing bubble, as you might say, uh, in order to communicate that we really need to come together and have a serious adult conversation about where our society is going and our attitude to catastrophic risk. Do you think that Extinction Rebellion has become associated with, at least in its reputation, the radical left, basically? Yes, and I think as a co-founder, we had the idea when we set it up that we were going to attempt to reconstruct what it means to be against climate change, that it was primarily going to be a moral thing, a thing that's beyond politics, 
and a thing that brings people together from many different backgrounds. And we partially succeeded, and we are partially succeeding, but the environmental movement is, like a lot of political spaces, is very tribal. And it has a suspicion of anything outside that silo, if you understand. And, you know, you see that on the right as well. And so it's a bit of an uphill battle, if the truth be known. But I think it's absolutely vital that we take these risks and we do start communicating over and above the culture war and all these other distractions that prevent us from seeing our common interest, which is we don't want to see social collapse in the next generation. Is it fair to say it's been captured by the radical left more than you had intended? I mean, the radical left covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? And just for the record, you know, I'm broadly on the radical left myself. Um, but I think it's more that it's very difficult to culturally change the people's perceptions in two years. In other words, the radical left has broadly owned environmentalism for the last 30 years, particularly radical environmentalism. And so it's an uphill struggle. And at various stages of XR's development, there's been this constant criticism from the left that we should get back in line, you know? And, and there's lots of plus points about that, right? You know, social justice and these themes are extremely important. But that's not the whole story. The whole story on the climate, as I said, is, has a universal element to it, which is it's a violation of all human values. And as such, it needs to engage with a far wider range of political philosophies and, and cultural groups. It moved from being a kind of radical left quite quickly to being a kind of woke almost woke capitalism sponsored project you know there were corporations were giving money to it um we saw images of people doing kind of uh, interpretive dance who seemed to be quite sort of privileged student types um leading these protests and you know what ordinary people then presume is that it's part of this elite woke project yeah, well, I think we need to have a bit more of a nuanced analysis of it, right? I mean, what we need to understand, I think, is as soon as you enter the public sphere, the media always wants to slot you in to the culture war polarities, right? And regardless of what the empirical sort of information is, you tend to get slotted in. So you have to fight enormously hard to say, no, we're not, or at least we're not totally. Um, you know, I'm a farmer, you know, I'm not a layabout hippie, for instance, you know, if you're a farmer, you know, you get up and you do a 14 hour day and you work, you know, you get half a day off a, a, a week, right? That, that's my background. And the reality of the climate change space is that it's a lot more complicated now than it used to be. So for instance, you know, I've talked to people who are very rich and have stepped forward to support Extinction Rebellion. But you can't say that they're sort of the usual woke billionaire class, as you might say, right? What they're fundamentally doing is breaking down their own, their own idea of what their priorities are. And I see this right across the social sphere, which is people are starting to move beyond their tribal boundaries. And it, 
with limited success, but it's there, right, behind, behind the scenes. So, for instance, like a lot of people that have been involved in Extinction Rebellion aren't from the woke urban middle class in actuality. They're more what I would call the rural lower middle class. And they do connect with more conservative values, with a little c. So it's a lot more complicated. Such as what? Let's, let's dig into that because that's interesting. What, what sort of values do you mean? Well, more of a sense of traditional moral liberalism in the English tradition. You know, like a lot of people that have come to London have been from what you might call the Celtic fringe, you know, Cornwall, Wales, the north of England. I mean, yes, there's been a lot of the usual suspects, as it were, you know, urban students and that sort of thing. But a lot of people, for instance, are over 50. And they, they have a pre-Thatcherite culture, as you might say. Their culture is more, there's a right and wrong in the world. You know, we're, we're, we're moderate people, but we don't go about destroying the next generation. Um, we have a connection to the land. We have a connection to traditional small town politics. You see what I mean? There's a number of different interrelated elements here. And so it's not, you know, it, it's not Greenpeace. You should never think that Extinction Rebellion is that usual environmentalism. And what's happening in, in the Extinction Rebellion space is, a, is an ongoing dialogue and conflict around these, new, these different orientations. The traditional orientation, which is, you know, we're radical left, the usual, you know, the usual framings around justice and what have you, and a new framing which is about universalism, patriotism, connection with nature, our responsibilities to our children, connecting with the longer, more national radical traditions of what it is to be English and British. So one of the things that, um, well, let's pick up on that right now, actually. I mean, you, you talked about patriotism, nationalism, what it means to be British. The climate movement is considered a very much a global movement. It meets in these kind of summits. It's associated with this sort of globalized elite in some way. Um, and the argument is always, well, it's a global issue. You know, it doesn't respect national borders. Therefore, the solution must come at the global level. Do you disagree with that? Yes, because I think the global strategy, which has been pursued by the Western liberal class, has catastrophically failed. Carbon emissions have gone up by 60% since 1990. And how many conferences has there been? You know, 30, 40? And we've got another one coming up. And we've got this narrative that the professional classes and the global liberal class and the bureaucrats and the diplomats and all the rest of that area are going to sort this out. And we all remember in the 1990s and early 2000s that feeling that it was you know, there's climate change out there, and yes, it was serious, and these men in suits were saying they were going to sort it out. And it has a sort of emperor without clothes feeling about it now, which is they're still saying the same thing. So if it's not going to be solved at this sort of global level by men in suits attending conferences, what's the kind of national route? Or what's the nationalist route, even, to pushing back against some of these issues? What's the alternative way of doing it? Well, I think what we need to do is to look at history before 1989, before the modern neoliberal period. And if we look at 20th century history, 
and we see how societies and cultures and nations react to the threat of annihilation, particularly around the First World War and the Second World War, we see a very clear pattern. Two things happen. First of all, people of goodwill, realists and idealists who are, want to actually see success happen, as you might say, come together. In other words, you get an alliance across politics. I mean, a classic example is the French Resistance, where you had Catholic, you know, traditional Catholics fighting with radical left socialists, right? Because both of the value systems of those very different traditions were clear that the Hitler project was an absolute obscenity, right? So you get this coming together of people across the political spectrum, and then it manifests itself in a national project, the, the saving of Britain, the saving of France, because national identity at the end of the day trumps internationalism when you are faced with annihilation. Now, I want to make clear that that does not mean the chauvinistic nationalism that a lot of left-wing people associate nationalism with, for good reason, of course, right? But as we all know, there's many different shades of patriotism and nationalism, and it's silly really to weaponize it, right? What we're looking at is a nationalism or patriotism which is rooted in a love of one's country, a love of one's tradition, and a love of one's political traditions. And all of those were violated, as we well know, in the Nazi period. And they're being violated today by this catastrophic risk-taking of the corporate class, you know, which says technology will sort things out, we're okay, we'll reduce carbon emissions. And I think like a lot of people are starting to sense that this is a tired narrative. And if it's not going to work, it's going to be catastrophic. The other aspect of this, you know, talking about, you know, conservatives and, and, and radical left, is the kind of social conservatism versus liberalism axis. Um, and, you know, I've been to some of these protests and, you know, the climate placards are mixed in with, you know, marijuana and trans and all sorts of things. And it's, it's sort of associated with ultra social liberalism. Um, do you think that should change? Yes. And as I said, I think I think you're exaggerating, with all due respect. <laughs> I think that is an element, but it's an element, right? And that's what I'm trying to say. It's already happening. This isn't just a proposal. The, the, the social demographics of Extinction Rebellion were different than the usual environmentalism. And that's why we got 200,000 people signed up in 12 months. You know, it's the biggest social movement in the UK. And that's why it was the number one influence in the world in 2019. So this process is already happening. But so where are these um, socially conservative Extinction Rebellion protesters? We don't see them so publicly. No, and the reason is because, partially because the media isn't interested in that narrative, which is why I'm on here today, to try and make that point, but also because it hasn't really got going yet. And one of the reasons it hasn't got going is, as I see it, there's a certain amount of cowardice amongst social conservatives that they see this culture war and they don't want to make that step that I'm making today talking to you. I want social conservatives to step forward and say, yes, I'm going to sit, you know, sit on a, a, an XR platform. And as a social conservative, you know, as a general, as, a, as an ex-police officer, as, as a church leader, right? And say, 
Yes, I don't agree with your culture, but I agree with the moral imperative that at this time in history, you have to start going above and beyond our sectional interests. And I think that's a key element of social conservatism at its best, which is to put the national interest, the interest of the whole of society, above the sectional or cultural interest. Yeah, I mean, earlier you mentioned this idea of a sort of compact between generations, which is a very conservative, it goes back to Burke, I think, a very conservative idea. You know, you've had, there are people like Roger Scruton who were very uh, sort of environmental in their emphasis. Um, the idea of protecting what you love. Yeah, what do you... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Is the kind of socially conservative case for Extinction Rebellion? Well, there's several different elements. I mentioned the element of, of patriotism, but you're right. There's, there's a very strong case to be said that if we're going to get through the next generation without massive mental breakdown, we have to reconnect with a sense of duty and a sense of connection to a tradition. And by that, I mean, we need to understand we have obligations to those that came before us. Right, particularly those that sacrificed their lives and in, in the 20th century in order to protect the liberty of this country. And the other idea, which is related, of course, is the notion of legacy, the notion that we're not just here to enjoy ourselves, right? That's the neoliberal, individualist, consumerist idea, right? That people on the left, where I come from, and also social conservatives are critical of for lots of reasons. 
But the point here is that the essence of the immorality of continuing to put carbon into the atmosphere is the transgression of the moral law. The moral law being you don't do unto others what you wouldn't have them do to, to yourself, right? In other words, you don't shit on your children. And there's nothing more violating a basic morality than to say to your children, I'm fine, you know, our generation is going to enjoy ourselves and what we're going to pass on to you is 10,000 years of climate crisis, right? You know, it, it's beyond immoral, isn't it? I think that argument, so far, so good. You know, I think you're, you're, if there are socially conservative people watching, they will, they're with you so far. Yeah. But one of the glaring disconnects has got to be your methods. You know, you talked about you want church leaders and policemen to be on your side. Well, one way to make sure they're not on your side is interrupting businesses, um, ruining people's days, people's lives, you know, undermining, damaging public property, essentially attacking our way of life and the institutions that people love. So your, the Extinction Rebellion methods are the opposite of conservative in that way. Yeah, well, I'd say that's historically illiterate, <laughs> with, all, with all respect, right? I mean, uh, the method of civil disobedience is a method that, of a political method of activity, as it were, that has been used by the left and right over the last 200 years. In other words, when a social group feels like it's excluded from the political process, or it feels like its core values are being violated, Sociologically, we can see that left and right-wing groups engage in civil disobedience or forms of disruption. And leaving aside the, the violence issue, you know, sometimes it goes into that. But the idea that disruption in itself is anti-conservative isn't sustainable, right? I think I would turn it around and say that just because the majority of the people in a society believe something does not make it right. And that's a core conservative idea, right? It's not just, you know, that, that superficial idea of democracy, which is if there's a poll saying everyone, you know, agrees with something, that doesn't make it right. You know, in the Second World War, as we know, most of the French population wanted to accommodate Hitler. But that didn't mean de Gaulle said, well, you know, I'm going along with that. De Gaulle said, no, we have principles here about liberty and you know, constructive nationalism, and we're going to continue to go to war with the Nazis. I think, I, I get the point you're making. I think it's a reputational, and it's, you know, you're, you're in, essentially in a campaign here. You've got to get people's attention, you've got to get them on side. And if they're, the working days of ordinary people are interrupted by protesters who are doing interpretive dance in front of them, they're not going to like it. And it will seem like an attack on uh, ordinary people, and it will seem like an attack on the things people love, which is an opposite to conservative instinct. Um, so, you know, you're, you're due in court this week on yet another court case. I think you're up for conspiracy to cause a public nuisance. There's been property damage allegations. So you're, I think you've had convictions on that. That, that's not the way to become beloved by conservative people, I would suggest. <laughs> well, I disagree, right? I disagree with you. I think what we need to understand about civil disobedience, and it's something I research, right? 
there's two sides to nonviolence, right? As, as in the tradition of Gandhi and Martin Luther King, which is what XR is in that tradition, there's two elements. There's one element which is disruption, and then the other element is dialogue. In other words, you go out and disrupt society because you're trying to give people a message, which is, with all due respect, we're on a pathway to hell here, right? And we are disrupting you to wake you up. The reason you're interviewing me today and the reason why I do, you know, two or three interviews a week is because XR does civil disobedience. If we're sending emails, no one would notice. Now, that doesn't justify our activity, but it potentially does. It depends on whether we're right or wrong, right? But the point is, is, is once we're in a position of dialogue, then we engage in respectful communication. We're not here to say to society, you know, judging you and saying, you know, you're bad people. What we're saying is, let's have a conversation about where we want this country to go. And our disruption creates that conversation, as has been done many times in the past. And conservatives accept that, right? You know, conservatives will accept now that the suffragettes was a good, you know, development in, in, in British society, enabled women to get the votes. But as we all know, at that moment in time, they weren't that happy, right? But conservatives have to accept that social change happens. And if they accept social change happens, they have to accept that that's brought through disruption. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's you've come to the point where you've now got the microphone. You know, you're here, you've been on BBC, you're, you're, as you say, you do two or three interviews a week. Maybe you now need to work within institutions and actually say what you want. You said, what do we want the future to look like? Now's your chance. What do you want Britain to look like? What sort of policies would you want to see enacted at a governmental level? Uh, what does the kind of Britain as envisaged by Roger Hallam look like in 10 years? We're not going out blocking ordinary people's lives in order to say, you're bad and you have to do this, this and this, right? Because that is undemocratic in a sense. What we're saying is we need to have this national conversation and that national conversation has to be actualized through a citizens assembly. In other words, a randomized selection of ordinary British people coming together to decide the future of the country. That sounds great, but that is a process, isn't it? That's, it is a, that's a, a means to reach a conclusion. I think you know, the, the resistance you meet is, you say 7.5% a year carbon reduction. The, the necessary effect of that would be economic damage, and that would mean you know, difficulties for people who are already struggling, and it will probably hit the poorer people in society. Well, this is where the social conservative orientation comes in, right? Which is to move beyond that cost-benefit short-termism, right? Oh, you know, this is going to reduce our incomes a bit. This is going to limit our freedom a little bit. The social conservative argument is that's all well and good, and there's another thing in life, right, which is our duty to our nation, the duty to our traditions and our duty to our children. And those duties trump those duties overall, individual freedom to consume and to have material advancement, right? Not always, but again, you have to look at the situation. And the situation is we're in a situation of catastrophic risk. You made some of these predictions, and I think the famous one now is that you said tens of billions of people will die in the next 10 to 20 years. Six billion. You said six billion. I said six billion in a hard talk, yes. Is, is there any way you think that the process of getting there could actually be 
a positive or beautiful one? Because I think that would be interesting to hear about. Because absolutely. Because absolutely, even yeah. if you successfully appeal to people's sense of responsibility and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to witness all this dis devastation and destruction and have a shit time for years on end just as a gift to the next generation, that's still it's a, it's a tall order. Is there any way in which that journey can actually be an enjoyable or positive one for people? Well, enjoyable is probably the wrong word, right? <laughs> but I think there's a very interesting challenge to be made, which is living a shallow, materialistic, consumerist, you know, I'm at the center of the universe world is not a great way to live your life. The best way to live your life is to go into service to the common good, to go into service against, uh, going to service for something that's over and above yourself. And again, there's lots of evidence that's good. And lots of social conservatives have made this point, and lots of psychologists have made the point as well, which is at times of existential threat, at times of national crisis, people come together and they don't get more miserable. They actually become more happy because connections between people in communities becomes deepens. You've seen this to a certain extent with COVID, right? It's people have got a sense that it's not me, me, me anymore. There's something bigger out there. And this is what is the positive side of what we need to do, which is to bring people together. And we've seen this in Extinction Rebellion, but there's something more powerful happening. And what's more powerful is this sense of purpose and community. So, you know, when a thousand people got arrested in London in April 2019, you know, I helped to design that, so you can blame me for it. <laughs> but people came up to me afterwards, and I was a little bit afraid, as you can imagine, people going, well, you know, you caused me to lose income, and I had to take two weeks off work, and, you know, my, my parents won't talk to me anymore, and these sort of things. No, people are coming to me and saying, Roger, that was the best two weeks of my life. And the reason they were saying that is because they transition from this cognitive dissonance that many people I, I suspect watching this video will have, you know, oh, it's a little bit worrying, but, you know, I want things to stay the same. They've made that transition to saying, no, there's a line in the sand that I will not cross. And once you've made that decision, as in, you know, our traditions always say this, don't they? But once you've made that, that transition to a moral stance, then you become more whole psychologically and spiritually. And that's a phenomenon that's happening all around the world as millions of ordinary people, right? Because this is mainly ordinary people now. Ordinary people decide the politicians aren't going to sort this out, right? It almost sounds, uh, after the last Extinction Rebellion protest, there were lots of people saying that it's become almost a religious movement. You know, people were going with placards of Greta Thunberg, sort of with a halo over her head and the like. It almost sounds like you, you're, you'd encourage that. You used the word spiritual. You're, you're almost saying, you know, environmentalism can be a new religion, can give people a new central purpose in life. Yes, well, this is another, another problem with the media, right, which is they tend to juxtapose the secular and the religious. It's like one minute you're, you're technocratic, you know, scientists, and the next minute we're medieval child saints, right? I mean, dare I say it, there's a little bit of middle ground, right? 
So what's, what's happening with Extinction Rebellion, what's happening with the broader mobilization around the world is you're exactly right. We're moving from a reductive, scientific, technocratic orientation on the climate to something that's deeper, right? But that doesn't mean we're rushing off to some millenarian, you know, cult sort of religious situation, right? What we're doing is we're starting to reconnect with a deeper sense of humanity in various different cultural manifestations. And if you want to call that spiritual, then so be it. But it's certainly a deeper sense of self and a deeper sense of community, which has religious connotations, let's put it like that. And of course, some people... Are you religious? I'm certainly not secular <laughs> in the sense that there's more to life than, you know, your income and your status. And I'm 54. I'm not going to be on this, in this world for that much longer. So, you know, as people do when they get older, they start to think about non-material responsibilities. So that's, that's my general orientation. And I think this is one of the interesting phenomenons about Extinction Rebellion is there's a lot of people 40 and above, particularly people in their 50s, 60s and 70s getting involved. So that doesn't quite fit in with the sun, you know, lunatics, you know, yoga teacher sort of idea, does it? I think the deeper reason for this mobilization is this social conservative intuition, which is there's some responsibility we have here, right? There's something, some responsibility, you know, I've got my pension, I've had a nice life, and that life has basically been produced by the carbon economy. So I owe something back to society and to my children. Roger, thank you very much. Yeah, well, thank you. That was Roger Hallam from Extinction Rebellion, co-founder, speaking in his own personal capacity, I should say, making the pitch that far from being something exclusive to the radical left, the movement he cares so much about should actually be a conservative one and one that reaches across the political aisle. You be the judge. Don't forget you can watch all of our podcast interviews on our YouTube channel. Find us under Unheard and make sure to subscribe for all the latest. Thanks for joining. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.